You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to uh, an unnamed uh, special episode of the podcast. I don't know what to call this because Tyler usually publishes on uh, Tuesday. I usually publish on Monday and Friday. And uh, this is going to come out on a Wednesday. So this is just kind of a one-off episode. Um, I'm here with Tyler Brooke. I'm Justice Mosqueda, by the way, if you haven't recognized my voice yet. Um, They've heard a lot of your voice, Justice. I know. (laughs) That's what I was too worried about. People say, like, hey, make more pods. And I'm like, are you guys sure you want to hear my voice this much? You're our smartest guy. We need to hear your voice more often, Justice. Uh, I don't know about that. You can tell my (laughs) bosses that, though. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, All right. So we're going to talk about the NFL draft. First, I just kind of want to start about Packers positions. This is something that Tex and I talked about um, once he got back from Hawaii. I really do think from a draft perspective, you can really whittle down a lot of these positions. Like yep. the offensive line, it's it's not going to be a position to need. Running back, they got four of them. They, they shouldn't even draft one, right? They shouldn't be scouting these guys, um, at least in terms of draft picks. Uh, you look at quarterback, if Rodgers does come back, should be something that they're not looking at. Depending on how they, they bring back some of those secondary players, they probably don't need to look there. So I, I feel like just from a setting the table standpoint, if you're looking at the Packers draft, I really do think you can just kind of focus on pass catchers on the offensive side and then front seven on the defensive side. Do, do you see it any differently or is that kind of how you see it too? I'll push back on the one thing. And I think there is a possibility that they need to look a little bit in the secondary, mostly because we don't know what's going to happen with Rasul or, you know, a contract extension for Jair Alexander. So, you know, let's say they do bring back, you know, at least one of those guys long-term. I think what you do need to look at is in the slot and slash third safety, Henry Black ain't it. Vernon Scott apparently is not it. Um, So especially with the importance of the slot defensive back, whatever you want to call it, um, I think there's further need there. That's where I will always plug in Jalen Petrie because I will take any chance I can to talk about that guy. Uh, That is my draft crush of the year. Um, But someone that can fill that role, I think that could be it. But other than that, I completely agree with you on everything else. And that's the tricky thing for me because obviously if you have Stokes on a rookie contract, Jair Alexander on a long-term contract because they're not going to want to keep him on the fifth-year option that he has right now. That's something like 13 point something million dollars. You can make it so you can keep him long-term and make his short-term cap hit a lot smaller. Obviously, the Packers are going to want to do that. Then you look at Russell Douglas. If he does return, and it seems like he's willing to give up money on the table, at least as of now. I mean, he's out on Twitter. He's like, it wouldn't take that much more to bring me back. And it's like, this dude had a, you know, Pro Bowl season, basically, at cornerback. And uh, if he doesn't want to come back for, for that much more money, Something to, something to think about. Um, the big yeah. thing is, you know, Channon is leaving. So if Channon, if I would be pretty surprised if they brought Channon back. Yeah. If he leaves, and let's say Douglas leave, and Kevin King leaves, that it becomes wide open at that slot position. So the them being able to retain Douglas is a big deal. Obviously, they drafted Shamar John Charles um, in the fifth round last year. He didn't really do anything this year. Um, he gave up some touchdowns when he was playing like outside corner and like weird uh, he got situations. Cooked by Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon destroyed his ankles. Yeah, uh, was... It was the only snap he played against the Bengals. It was a uh, and it was some sort contract. of like miscommunication, right? They had like wrong personnel on the field. I mean, I was at the game and like the defensive coaches are yelling at. I think it was him and Kevin King. Oh, yeah, because Kevin Gang, I think, got hurt because he got stepped on a few plays ago. So they're kind of like arguing back and forth. He needs to go on the field. And Shamar ended up just staying out there had to cover outside containment and just got torched. Yeah, that was weird. But his role is he was basic, basically Shannon's backup Yep. who took a retro year, right? So yeah. you would think that they kind of have that position a little bit addressed. But the big issue, 
I agree with you, is that that third safety. I mean, they don't have the depth there. They brought in Sean Davis late. Vernon Scott was on the roster all season, basically didn't get – I think the only time he got into a game was uh, that Christmas game, right, when Kevin King surprisingly mm-hmm. uh, tested positive for COVID, like, after warm-ups. Yeah. Right? It, it was – It was mm-hmm. they released the inactives, and then Kevin King was ruled out from there. And it was Those like, Christmas oh, games were weird. There were a lot of super late inactives in that and the Colts game. Yeah, that was the – the first uh, Kingsley Kiki game too. Oh man. Yep. Which is an odd situation. So yeah, obviously, you know, if they, they're going to play dime, right. We saw them play dime this year in third and long situations. It's not like they're going to play dime like the Penn teams did on a down to down basis, but they will use it situationally. So you are going to need 60 bees that can go out there and play. Um, so I guess, yeah, depending on what happens with Rasul, and I guess even then you would probably like is Shamar John Charles, your dime back in that situation. Probably if he's between him and Henry black, as it stands on the depth chart, if Russell does come back. So that might be a situation that, that they'll go for. The big thing for me though, is this is a franchise and a front office that hasn't really valued that slot position very much. I mean, yep, you can look 100%. back at Casey Hayward, Micah Hyde, not getting, not getting offers um, from the team at all. And it basically, it sounded like the reason for that was the front office knew if we give them this contract, the coaching staff is going to play them in the slot. And it's our mentality that we just simply are not going to value the slot position, which to me. Times are changing, of, man. Yeah. Times are changing. If, if, if you look at the target percentage for, for wide receivers in the trips formation, so three wide receivers to one side, one to the other, you know, tight ends are involved, whatever you want to call that. Right. Um, the guy at the one spot on the trip side. So the furthest outside guy to the three wide receivers at the NFL level only sees about 10 to 8% of uh, targets. That's, that's not how this works. Like you look at college football and how they deal with all this stuff, all the pattern matching stuff is so you can come, you can combo those inside routes because if you're lining up in trips, it's really hard to target that outside guy. Now that becomes a little bit different when teams are getting into condensed formations, like the Los Angeles Rams and stuff where, you know, your, your furthest outside guy to trips is five yards away from the offensive tackle. That's totally different than if that guy is outside of the numbers. But if that guy is split out, like, to the numbers, you know, it's pretty hard to target that guy. So at yeah. some point, you have to say, we got to value the position that is getting targeted frequently. So that that's a massive question mark I have about this front office um, going into this offseason. And Obviously, there's a fine line between valuing a slot corner and valuing it too much, but it's something at least worth looking at. And it's interesting that they used Jair in that role, you know, against San Francisco before they pulled him. It's, it seemed like they realized San Francisco just is not going to throw the ball, and it was just yep. not worth throwing Jair out there to just make shoulder tackles that entire time with a busted shoulder. So they yep. made the switch, but that, that was interesting that Jair played inside because that's something – we had talked about all season. If, you know, the secondary gets healthy, Jair playing inside with Stokes and Douglas outside seems to probably be the best combination moving forward. And they actually showed it, even if it was only for, you know, a quarter and a half. Yeah. We'll see what happens there. I just a thought of mine. Like I said, I agree with all your other points, but um, I wouldn't hate, you know, even if it is a day two pick, uh, you know, I think there's a tremendous amount of value in a slot. And I think you can pitch that to ownership, even if they don't value from a financial perspective, you know, a slot defensive back, um, you know, on the field, if you can get a, a productive player on a cheap rookie deal, I think you can definitely make that argument. So I want to talk about the quarterbacks. No, and no. This, this, <laughs> might be, this might be the only time we talk about the quarterback prospects in this draft. I guess it depends on Rogers decision, but goodness gracious, this quarterback class compared to last year's, it, it is night and day. Um, I am a fan. Here, here are the names you need to know. And this is on your draft board that you have right now. Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati, Sam Howell from North Carolina, Matt Corral from Ole Miss, Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh, and Malik Willis from Liberty. I am a fan of Ritter. Um, I have him QB1 also. I think him, just as a mental processor, is a step ahead of everyone else. But I, I think he's somewhere around, like, more athletic golf to, like, Derek Carr. I, I, I think that's kind of where his range is, yep. which is obviously to me a first round pick. Um, but after him, I have massive question marks. I know people are talking about, you know, hey, 
what if we take, you know, Malik Willis at number eight or whatever the Denver Broncos are taking? I'm like, that dude cannot play right now. Malik Willis, mind you, is the quarterback who transferred out of Auburn, played at Liberty. If you haven't heard of Liberty before, it's kind of an upstart football program. Uh, that they produce guys randomly and uh who's the coach there oh my gosh uh uh, Hugh Freeze Hugh Freeze yep we they were talking about taking the Auburn job just full circle taking the Auburn (laughs) job if Brian Harson left but he ran down to Mexico and was like nope Nope. I'm uh (laughs) gonna post up here and uh find cause because if not I'm taking every penny of this money buy me out yep crazy college football is nuts um but Malik Willis I guess we'll start with him I already talked about Ritter a little bit Malik Willis is a very, very athletic quarterback. Like you're talking about not the long speed, but the short area explosiveness of Lamar Jackson. That is legitimate. If we hear, if we hear rumors of, Hey, you know, six teams wanted Malik Willis to work out at wide receiver at the combine. I would not be surprised at all. Like that, that's the type of athlete that we're talking about. And I do think there are way too many people who make those, Hey, he should move to wide receiver comparisons like Braxton Miller right Braxton Miller was a was a good college quarterback he was just a good college quarterback he wasn't going to be a good NFL quarterback yeah and he wasn't going to be a good NFL wide receiver it, <laughs> it, it just becomes this weird thing where people are like hey this guy's been training to be a quarterback for 10 years how about uh he moves to a completely different position and uh trains to do that at a professional level it's like I wrote a I wrote a piece for fan cited back in the day about that specifically Tyrone swoops at Texas because he was trying to play tight end and just looked at this long history of quarterbacks trying to play wide receiver. Got to talk with Brad Smith, another guy that played yeah, for the Jets. Um, that was an interesting one. Not not a track record of success trying to make that move. Um, so, yeah. I will say this about Malik Willis. You know, I think he proved the mobility at the Senior Bowl at the, in the game itself, right? Like, you know, the offensive line clearly wasn't on the same page. It seemed like, you know, classic Senior Bowl game. Uh, but he did a great job escaping. And that speed is Lamar Jackson worthy. And then, of course, everyone wants to highlight the arm. Like, he probably has the strongest arm in the class as well. The I agree, problem, yeah. The problem is it's all over the place. The, the most concerning thing I watched, because I watched his 2020 tape, and it was pretty damn good. Uh, you watch the 2021 tape, makes a lot of stupid mistakes, a lot of turnovers, especially against better opponents. And then he also doesn't know when to just give up on plays. There, a lot of the sacks and turnovers came on plays where he should have just, you know, hit it in the dirt, thrown it away. Um, not what you want to see from a guy that has a lot of question marks. Um, I know his stock got helped out quite a bit at the senior bowl, but like you said, there's, there's so many questions with this guy. It's like Trey Lance. If Trey Lance had none of the polish is kind of what I've, I've thought about. You can say, see kind of the tools there, but that's about it. And it's a totally different system too. I mean, yep. Trey Lance was playing, under center eye formation, doing a bunch of quarterback run stuff in the gun, but like he was doing NFL level progressions where you exactly. look at Liberty. If you guys don't remember who Hugh Freeze was, he was that he was the coach of uh, Ole Miss when they had, you know, Laquan Treadwell and all those guys. It kind of led up to uh, the Lane Kiffin era where they're just basically calling uh, just beaters is, is the best way to explain it, right? Just like vanity uh, route combinations to beat specific coverages. A lot of double moves a lot of like we're fake throwing uh, a screen and then running a go right just a lot of like eye candy stuff that that's the offense that he's coming from um I don't know where he's going to end up on draft day I mean it wouldn't surprise me if he he could be a guy that falls out of the first round completely or a guy that you know someone tricks themselves trades up to number one for him but I I personally I don't that guy can't play I mean, I, I've been around, again, I worked at XFL, right? So I know kind of like what like the 70th best quarterback in the world looks like a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. So that guy is not that right now. Mm-hmm. He, he, he's not as polished as even a guy like Jordan Ta'amu, who came out of Ole Miss a couple years ago. I liked him. I liked system, him a little bit, yeah. That system. He, he started for us at uh, St. Louis. He was actually the starting quarterback over Heineke. Yep. Um, who's now the you know starting quarterback with Washington right now. Um, he's not as polished as those guys. And those guys were, you know, undrafted free agents, frankly. So I don't he's, know. He's there's a, a uh, there's that NBA draft quote and it applies to Willis pretty well. He's a year away from being a year away. He might be like two years away from being exactly. two years away is the problem. And it, we're seeing more and more like the veteran commandment in NFL locker rooms can dictate if you give up on a quarterback early or not. Like yep. you've seen this. 
in Miami multiple times with, you know, Rosen and potentially Tua. Um, we're seeing all the Browns fans right now saying like, hey, we're happy for OBJ. Like at some point, if the quarterback can't play, you're going to lose a lot of people in that yeah. room. And I could easily see Malik Willis being in that type of situation. I understand the arm talent and all that stuff. I promise you, I, I get it. When I was working uh, draft coverage for Bleacher Report last year, he was one of the guys that I put, uh, Ian Kenyon, who's, uh, what's his job even? It's like editor, editor, deputy editor, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, NFL editor. Um, I, I put him on to kind of let know for the social team because they were planning, you know, 2020, uh, what is it now, to draft content. And I was like, the one guy that's not on anyone's boards that I kept talking to like agents and stuff about was Malik Willis because they're like, dude, this dude is insane. And to your point, you watch 2020 and his, his talent is great. It pops off the screen, especially at the level of competition that Liberty was playing with. They're, they're yeah. FBS. They're Division One, the high end of – They're very new FBS too. Yes, but they're yeah. an independent program, and they get, they get a lot of – you watch those games, they don't have a lot of NFL talent, and it's hilarious to watch even – I think they did play Ole Miss this past year, um, if I remember correctly. And I was watching their offensive line, and I'm like, they just – they can't match up. So there's a lot of that. Where if you squint really hard, you can make a lot of excuses for him. But right now, I'm just not confident in him. Yeah. The other three quarterbacks, um, speaking of Ole Miss, I mean, here's an easy one, Matt Corral, right? So he's the other guy. He's the other probably – if Malik is number one in arm talent, Matt Corral is probably number two. Um, they really run a vanity scheme, though. I mean, it's pretty close to, like, what – uh, the Art Browse Baylor teams were running almost uh, exactly. Yep, it's a really yeah, good comparison. I, so it's not like he's learning a lot, right? Where you you see guys like Bryce Petty come into the league, posting all this production, and then they get into games, and it you have to run a real NFL system, and they just they literally have not taken a snap yet. So when we're talking about a guy like a Corral or a guy like Malik, it's like these guys are like five star prospects coming out of high school. You know what I mean? Like, that's how much time yeah. they need to get adjusted to the NFL game. Um, what, what are your thoughts on Corral? Of all the guys, I may not have him graded the highest, but he's the guy I like the most just because I, I like the way he throws. I think he zips it out there. Um, he has to be decisive in that scheme, right? So I think, he, you know, when he's ready to throw, he gets it out pretty quick. Uh, he's got a good deep ball. My problem with him, he's just, he's tiny. I think, I think once we get the official... Well, I guess we did get the official measurements on him, but yeah, just undersized for the position. Like you said, you know, it's a very RPO heavy scheme. So he has no experience like reading the field at a D1 level or even a pro level. So there's too many question marks with him. He's a little small, but I don't, there's still something I like about him. I don't know how to describe it. It's a, it's a very tough evaluation because the offense they're in is fun. He did have some talent around him. Uh, they had a phenomenal year. But, you know, there are a lot of those questions about how is that going to translate? And that's probably the hardest evaluation of all the five quarterbacks we're talking about. He reminds me a lot of Drew Locke, where it's yep. like, oh, look at this, like, ball of clay. Like, oh, if he gets in with a good quarterbacks coach, like, he could be dangerous. But if he doesn't, he can flame out pretty quick. Um, the funny thing about that offense, uh, if you watch the All-22, there's so many plays where Lane Kiffin is just throwing throwing the uh, clipboard. Yeah. It's just double moves and it's like open in the first five seconds. And then it's just a bomb deep downfield. And obviously, you know, they kind of put guys on islands more than, you know, the NFL does at, at the college game, just because of how spread out you have to be and specifically how, you know, Ole Miss lines up. Um, so that that's something interesting that I saw, but I, I really do get a lot of, drew lock vibes from him they never really made him do like pure progression football which is what wins in the nfl before you know out of structure plays and the biggest thing to me is just he doesn't have any of that experience just literally zero of it they also take the ball out of his hand a ton if you watch like a cut up of their third downs it's appalling i mean it's quarterback run quarterback run quarterback run screen 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 rpo quarterback run like he doesn't, he's not being asked even to make these plays. Like they just simply do not put it on his plate. So that's a massive question mark for me moving forward. He can run a little bit too, but he's more of like, I'm a willing runner than like I'm a Malik Willis, Lamar Jackson type of guy. You've run we're not going to des design runs for the guy, but if he needs to make a play with his legs, he can. Right. It's more like, 
probably like Carson Wentz, but like they're so different in terms of size. Like it, it's kind of a weird comparison. The next two guys I think are a lot more polished as passers, but just do not have kind of the elite talent, I guess I would say, um, arm talent or legs. I know Sam Howell ran a ton, surprisingly, but he, he to me on the field looks a little bit less dynamic than Baker Mayfield. So Sam Howell played at North Carolina. He was surrounded by all those guys who left for the draft last year, right? Diane awesome Brown, players too. Two running backs. Um, that That offense really was – it's a lot of gun power run RPO stuff. Like a lot of what you see in like the big 12 right now. So like a lot of like the Oklahoma stuff where, Hey, we're running and we're running RPOs, but we have like a wing tight end or like a fullback in, in the backfield. That's like helping to block power. And it's kind of harder to deal with um, when you spread teams out and also have that kind of dynamic in the backfield. How to me seems like less dynamic bait is the way that I would explain it. And as we're seeing it right now, Baker probably isn't worth a second contract, at least at, you know, we're retaining our quarterback type of uh, type of a deal. So you're looking at how he's probably a guy that will help you win ball games for, for, you know, his rookie contract, but he's not like a quote unquote franchise quarterback, I guess. I can see him landing anywhere between I get, there are times where I get Baker Mayfield, like when you get good Baker Mayfield, that's probably his upside. And then the downside, I see like Will Greer. Uh, I do like his arm. I think he's got pretty good arm strength. My problem is I don't think his footwork is consistent at all when he's getting these passes off. Uh, it's one of those guys where he knows he has a good arm and doesn't really, you know, focus on the footwork, right? Like he'll throw too high off his toes. Um, there's a lot of issues there. Um, and just like Willis is another thing I wrote down for him. There's just, again, sometimes you just got to know when to give up on a play. Um Sometimes you just need to throw the ball away. A lot of these guys are just trying to force it. And we did see, like you talked about, as soon as all the talent left around him, those were all some pretty legitimate prospects. Um, the drop-off was significant on his play this year. Uh, I mean, people were talking about him as a potential Heisman winner, right, coming into this year. And talking like, number one overall pick, too. Yeah. I mean, he, he was hyped up to be that. And we saw, we saw some regression, and that's fine. I, I, I think we have a pretty good handle of, like, who how is based off of his whole career he's played a ton of football too yep. by the way like it, it's not for lack of film um the next guy last guy Kenny Pickett I think he's probably the most polished quarterback outside of Ritter um the the funny thing is watching him on the all 22 and this is Kenny Pickett who probably would have if, if I had a Heisman vote I probably would have voted Kenny Pickett for Heisman just because of how much he meant to that Pittsburgh team yeah um and the numbers that they were able to produce after he kind of broke out his senior year, he, he, he wasn't a big producer, you know, before then. Kenny Pickett is a guy that leaves a lot of meat on the bone when you watch his all 22. Um, in terms of the mental processing, that's where I say like Ritter is just, you know, a step ahead of all these mm -hmm. other guys. Where I'm talking about Pickett as the second most polished quarterback in the draft. And Ritter is just like three steps ahead of him. Like Ritter never goes to the wrong place with the ball. Kenny Pickett often will just like take uh, shorter check downs just because he doesn't want to take the deep throws. The other thing too is Pickett kind of benefited from having almost like a Sam Howell level of talent around him. Right? I was going to bring that up if you didn't. Uh, All those was it Jordan Addison who was transferring, I believe. Uh, I think like it's a legitimate NFL player. He's someone I was, you know. Was that the one who won the Bolitnikoff? I know one of them won. I think so, yes. The Every time I watch Pickett, I noticed Addison. I'll just say right. that. And, you know, obviously uh, Pittsburgh's wide receivers coach is now at the University of Texas, and I think he has a passing coordinator uh, a title now. So a lot of people got raises because of what Pickett was <laughs> yeah. able to do with those wide receivers. The big thing with Pickett is he has an okay arm. He's an okay processor, which is more than we could say about a lot of these quarterbacks coming out of the college level now. But outside of that, like he's a little dynamic at the run. We saw him doing the fake slide. I know that one went viral. You guys probably remember that one. Oh, that was glorious. And now it's illegal. Now it's illegal. Yeah, the yeah. Kenny Pickett rule. But he's going to be 24 as a rookie. Yeah. He, he wasn't a producer until this past year when he was spoiled with talent around him and coaches that, you know, moved up the college ranks since, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of question marks there. So I, I kind of the, – the way I would rank these guys personally, I would have it as – and here are the comparisons that I have them to. I would have – Number one, Ritter, right, from Cincinnati. 
he's that athletic Jared Goff slash Derek Carr type of quarterback. Number two, I would have Sam Howell, and that's less dynamic Baker Mayfield to me. Number three, Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh. He's kind of the Teddy Bridgewater type of guy to me. That's who he reminds me a lot of. Um, Then Matt Corral, who reminds me of Drew Locke. And then Malik Willis, who's just high school Lamar. Like, there's no other way to explain. Like, we haven't seen a guy like Malik Willis be that raw coming into the league with that talent. Like, Lamar, for everyone who said, like, Lamar should play wide receiver, those guys were wrong. Let's be clear. Those guys were wrong. (laughs) Very wrong, yes. During the draft process. Willis is the guy who, like, actually maybe should do that. Because Lamar was Heisman level efficiency. Malik Willis was never that. So that's how I'd rank the top five. That's roughly where I have it. Let me see. I'm just looking through here. All of my guys are rated. I've, I've scouted 91 guys so far. That at least I have grades on all of them rank between 32nd and top 50. So for 32 to 47 is where I've got these guys graded. So it's a very tight group. Um, I've got Ritter. I've got Howell. Corral, Pickett, uh, and then Willis. And yet here we are talking about like Willis is probably still going to be the first guy taken because someone's going to believe that they can, they can work with whatever that is. Cause I keep seeing it's like Matt rule is going to draft Malik Willis and try and force him out there. And I feel like it's just going to be an absolute disaster. That, that team is so weird, man. We're seeing so many guys leave that Panther staff and some yep. of the guys just take like weird one year deals with that Panther staff, it really does feel like they're in a lame duck situation. The other, the other narrative, I guess I would say for Carolina coming into this draft that people are going to talk a lot about Kenny Pickett was actually committed to temple when Matt rule was the head coach of temple before he ended up uh, going elsewhere. So I don't know, maybe there's a connection there. Um, You would think that, Oh man, like Malik Willis, I'm just thinking it out right now. Malik Willis in Carolina is such bad process because they really are in a, we need to win to save our butts right now mode. And Malik Willis is a, I need like four years of development investment type of guy. Like you cannot imagine a a worse situation for a quarterback and a franchise than, than that matchmaking. It's one of the things I think gets very glossed over in like the, the draft industrial complex, right. Is, you know, when people are like, oh, well, you have this guy graded here. How come he didn't pan out? Like fit matters. And we're going to see that with a lot of guys where we're going to know right off the bat, like, I don't think that's going to work out. You know, if we do see, you know, one of these quarterbacks go to a team that needs to win out, they're going to force him out there when he needs a year or a couple in Willis's case. Um, it's really going to hamper these guys' careers. That's a real shame. Um, it's just something to keep an eye on. The only other thing I want to point out about these quarterbacks, the more I think about with Kenny Pickett, like I see all the mocks to Pittsburgh and I think I get it because I don't, I think he's got decent arm strength, but I don't love his deep ball, but he's one of those guys that can work in that offense as uh, Mr. Check down throwing short. I mean, if they're going to do that that and they're just going to run the spread and it's just like, I'm playing point guard Pickett's going to do great at that. Yeah. That's, that's the, when I think of the fit of all the quarterbacks, I think that was the one that makes the most sense to me as a guy that if you have to play him year one, uh, that's the guy I can see it. And you know, it's great for him. He wouldn't even have to play in a different stadium. Right. And facilities too. I think Pittsburgh, the University of Pittsburgh works the same facilities as the Steelers, even, you know, to this day. The funny thing about Pickett, so his hands came in estimation of eight and a quarter, which is extremely small, right? We're talking about NFL quarterbacks usually have like nine inch hands. Jared Goff fumbles all the time and he has nine on the dot, right? Um, But Kenny Pickett has double jointed thumbs. So it's like a whole other thing where they're like, yeah, small hands. Yeah, but they're double jointed. He he wears gloves on both hands, by the way. So that's one thing that I think he has going for him. And maybe that's why, you know, mentally I'm like, Teddy Bridgewater, gloves, double gloves. You you play like Teddy. But it's something he's used to already. So I don't know how much I would worry about that when, you know, he's already getting hit. He's played in the cold. I know that is a very overrated thing. Um, But some teams, you know, in the Northeast – and the Midwest are going to say like, Hey, he played, you know, at three rivers or whatever the stadium is called in, in Pittsburgh now. And he, he played through the cold, you know, outside in, in these type of months, he's played in these situations and he was able to sling the rock and damn near had a, you know, Heisman type of campaign. You know, if Pittsburgh was better, he probably would have won it. 
I will also say just like if we're talking about things like you don't write down and grade or anything, he's also the only quarterback that's not boring as a person, in my opinion, of these five guys we're talking about. Um, there is something to be said about that. I think we, if you're trying to command a locker room, especially as a young guy, you need to have some charisma. And like every time I've heard these other, like I don't want to bag on these prospects, but like there, there's nothing noticeable about their personalities, right? With Kenny, he does have that charisma. And I think that is something that players are drawn to. It's not something you can probably quantify in any way, but I think it's worth noting. Do you know why Matt Corral transferred high schools? No. He punched Wayne Gretzky's kid in the face. Oh. Yeah. He, he lost the scholarship to, uh, I think he was down to USC in Florida. And then that happened. He had to transfer schools and he ended up at Ole Miss. Um, but yeah, it, weird quarterback class, weird yes. quarterback class. Um, I want to ask you something because I know you've seen these quarterbacks in the past, um, you know, past couple of draft classes too. We're sitting here thinking, okay, vibe check right now. Aaron Rodgers, is he coming back out of 10? What did I say the other day? Seven and a half out of 10, two that he retires, 0. 0.5 that he plays elsewhere. That, that sounds fair to me. That's about where I'm at too. So if Rodgers does come back, the Packers are sitting here with a two-year contract with Jordan Love. Where would Jordan Love rank in this quarterback class for these rookies? Oh, my God. I'd have him second. I was going to say second or third. Back. Yeah. So that's – they can trade it's him, bad. man. Like, they can move him for, like, probably a second-round pick still. And there's quarterback desperation out there, you know, between Russ wanting to move on, um, Kyler – Doing whatever the heck Kyler is doing. I don't now. know what's going on there. That that is one of the weirder stories of the offseason already. Brady retired, Roethlisberger retired, teams Wentz might be gone. Right. Teams obviously swung on swung and missed on guys like Wentz and Darnold, stuff like that. It's not like we're producing more quality quarterbacks. So now just desperation is just rising and rising. Like, what is Denver gonna do if Rodgers doesn't go there? You look at this draft class and you're like, holy crap, if if we don't take Ritter, we're gonna have to spend a first round pick on insert any of the other four quarterbacks we talked about maybe we should just spend a second round pick on jordan love instead of spending the eighth or ninth pick whatever it is on one of these quarterbacks who isn't going to get a second contract like that might be that that might be in the plans like if, if the packers can get an extra second round pick that'd be huge for them you could give me a fourth and tell me that aaron Rodgers is coming back and i, I won't care <laughs> I, oh, I really if, won't. look if Rodgers comes back one it doesn't matter yeah. Right? It doesn't matter what you get back from love because your team improved that much more. Um, but it would be nice. It would yep. be nice to get a second for him. I'm, I'm mad that you brought me on here just to talk quarterbacks. There's so many, there's so many other positions we can talk about because it is a deep, even if it's not super top heavy and the quarterback class stinks, it is a pretty good class. Like there are a lot of players I have with, you know, at least day two grades. And that's why, you know, if they can get a day two pick out of Jordan love, like there's real value to be had there. Right. Uh, actually, let's take a break right now, and then we'll talk about some of the other positions. Thank goodness. Can't wait. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And we're back. All right, so we're going to talk about non, uh, non-quarterback non positions in this draft. And you made the point, you know, this is a pretty deep draft. I kind of think this draft is like, what was the first year of the CBA? 2011. That's when, you know, we had the super draft class, right? Where it was like, 
Julio, AJ Green, Vaughn Miller, uh, Alden Smith, JJ Watt, all those guys came out at the same time. And you're like, why was that draft class so good? And the reason was the NFL basically de-incentivized staying in school, right? Once you cap the top amount that rookies can make coming out, everyone just decided, all right, we'll start coming out then. I think at the same time, you look back at what did what did players go through in the 2020 season? And it was totally, yep. some teams had to play three games, right? What was it? Miami of Ohio played like three games total in the entire year. Um, I think there were the fewest amount of guys to sign with agents in the whole draft class. That's not um, just underclassmen, but also seniors. You got to remember everyone else got, you know, the extra senior year too. So a lot yep. of guys returned um, and, you know, frankly, we're supposed to be seniors came back. And we're six-year seniors. So I think we're seeing the benefits of that in this draft class. Um, Some of the guys I'm looking at your draft board right now, I guess we should start with the pass rushers because the three top pass rushers, I think, are going to get a lot of attraction, uh, you know, at the start of of this draft cycle. We're talking about Kayvon Thibodeau, the pass rusher from uh, Oregon, Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan, and George Karloftis from Purdue. Um, Do you just want to give a little bit about each one of those guys? Yeah, well, I feel like you're more qualified to talk about Thibodeau than anyone. You know, you're the Ducks fan of the of the crew. He said um, Alabama uh, education isn't worth anything and <laughs> Nike's hiring. So go Ducks. Oh, well, you have to, at least with all these like blue chip guys, just, you know, full disclosure, a lot of my, you know, grading and stuff was, you know, 2020 season, watched a couple games early on and just kind of, there are those guys where you just kind of know, right? You lock that in pretty early on. I'm talking about Thibodeau. Uh, I'm talking about Derek Stingley. I watched one game of Evan Neal this year and it, like the first game and I put in a, a bet for number one overall pick. I was like, worst team might need a tackle. So there we go. And now he's in the conversation. As far as uh, Thibodeau, I, you know, every time I see him, I think the play strength is what stands out immediately as far as the way he wins as a pass rusher because he can absolutely manhandle some guys. Uh, I think about that uh, Pac-12 conference championship. He's going against, was it Elijah Vera Tucker? And he had double-digit pressures in that game. And it was consistently on that side where he, this is an NFL prospect we're talking this is, about. This is a, a player that the Jets traded up for. And yeah. he played well, you know, traded up in the first round. And he played well, you know, at the NFL level for a rookie. Yeah. And, and he destroyed him. Yeah, it was he, you know, he wins in all man, manner of ways. But again, just the thing that keeps standing out is even when he loses that leverage battle, like he doesn't get his pads low or anything like that, he can still win with strength and push back, you know, on the line of scrimmage. Um, something that doesn't get talked about a lot with edge rushers. And we can have a whole conversation about this on like Packers needs for edge rushers. But the way he stacks blockers uh, on the edge, you know, launches his hips and constricts that rushing lane. It's an extremely valuable um you know, trait. So there's a lot that I like about him. It seems like the only reason he's following is falling is what I'm hearing. is like, what character stuff is that? Is that the case? Like, and what's it seems to, it's all the fake character stuff. It's, it's like, like miles Garrett character stuff, right. right? It's like, Oh, this guy's eccentric. Like, Oh, he has, it, it's, it's almost like the uh, Gary stuff. Remember when Gary was coming out? Oh my and gosh. It was yeah. like, it was like, Oh, he's going to start his own agency. Like how, how big has that been an issue in green Bay? Yeah. It hasn't been at all. He comes wearing a Bane Gary mask, um, you know, walking on the flights of a plane, and he wears his merch into a presser like everyone else does. It's it's not a big deal. So I, I don't think the character stuff is really a big deal at all. Um, Thibodeau, mind you, was like the star recruit in 2019. Um, I can't remember if that was Crystal Ball's first year or second, or uh, it, it might have been his first year, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. But Thibodeau was like the guy coming out of Southern California. Everyone knew this dude is just going to be a beast. And he rotated in early on, basically pressure packages his freshman year. And then by last year and uh, 2021, it was just, he's a football monster. The one thing I worry about him is he kind of does have tight hips a little bit for as explosive as he is. I almost think he's not Gary coming out, but he's close to like where Gary is now. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the guy that I kind of would think to compare him to, especially, you know, if we're thinking about this from like a Packers perspective, the other guy I really like, George Kaloftis. Um, he's from Greece, uh, you know, was born there and then came to the United States. His freshman year real early on, he took a retro year. Then he produced like immediately. Then last year between COVID and injuries, um, he basically didn't play that much, but he was like on our radar when we were talking about, you know, when we're working at the XFL, we're still building out, you know, scouting databases for future draft classes that we know, Hey, 
draft day, we can immediately, you know, hop on these guys. And one of the top guys in terms of like a, a riser, right. Where like, I'm talking to Bleacher Report and I'm like, Hey, you guys need to start talking about Malik Willis. Cause he's not on your guys' radar at all. And he's going to be yeah. talked about for the next year. George Karloftis was that guy after his freshman year where we're all just like sitting around talking to each other. And we're like, you guys got to watch this fast rusher from Purdue. He's a freshman. He's amazing. Like he's, he's the guy I think, cause Aiden Hutchinson is talked about as a potential first overall pick. Right. I don't think the Packers are going to be in a position to draft him at all, but I could see a situation where two teams draft pass rushers. It's Kayvon Thibodeau and Hutchinson. Maybe Thibodeau falls down a little bit. Offensive linemen are pushed up the board just because we don't have offensive linemen, you know, enough in the NFL quarterbacks are drafted way too early. And then the Packers, you know, maybe an extra pick for Jordan Love or whatever, maybe a pick for trading away Preston or Zadarius are in a position where they're like, well, we need a pass rusher right now and we're trying to win right now. Why don't we couple a couple picks and move up for George Karloftis? I can see that being a realistic scenario. And he is a freak athlete. He's a big dude. He's strong as hell. He's my second best pass rusher in this class. You have to understand that I am an Indiana University grad, and it is like <laughs> hearsay to talk nice about anyone at Purdue. And yet I have Karlaftis as my number six overall prospect. I mean, you're completely right. I think there is some ability for him to play, you know, standing up or, you know, even as a defensive end just because of that size. Um, but you're right, complete dominant athlete. Um, playing against superior competition and still just standing out game after game. Um, and he's doing it in Big Ten. Like he's going against actual future NFL tackles. You know, it's not like he's doing this in the Sun Belt or anything. And you're like, well, his athleticism looks good on film, but we have to really evaluate him based off of the senior bowl. No, he has like good on good film for an underclassman, which is kind of rare unless you're in the SEC or the Big Ten. The thing that blows my mind is when you look at his size. I mean, he was listed at 275 pounds. He's got some bend in him too. Like he can win with speed at that size. And you don't see a lot of those guys. It's it's hard not to get excited about him. Again, you know, my IU friends might give me a little shit for talking about a Purdue guy this highly, but I, I I'm fully on board with you. I have a, I don't have many top ten grades, but he, he you know it was one of those. It was it was a no brainer. That's the best way to explain him. Yes. No brainer. A- yeah. Aiden Hutchinson, he is the most interesting one to me. He's obviously a first round pick in my opinion, but people talking about him as a potential first overall pick is questionable to me to to say the least like what you think it's a one-year wonder i just don't think he has any bend at all like the fact that he doesn't have any bit like he's just gonna blow through guys at 260 in the nfl like we've seen guys like this falter a little bit you know at the at the pro level i think he's closer to like uh i don't know i he's a long guy he's probably closer to like a carlos dunlap than like a miles garrett but he's mm-hmm. being branded as a miles garrett and and that's I guess where I have the biggest pause, obviously the length is going to help him. He's explosive coming off of the ball, but he's a snap jumper and he doesn't have any bend. Oh. And we just seen that against these guys over and over. Like there were people legitimately debating if Derek Barnett was a better pass rusher than miles Garrett. When they, came I remember the that vividly. And I'm wow. like, this is, this is a snap jumper, man. Don't yeah. trust the snap jumpers. The only snap jumper who's really developed was uh, Michael Bennett. And it took him a couple years and he played such a weird role because he was an interior and an outside guy, you know, um, on the interior, I think it just of like a Packers comparison, Jarrell worthy, right. Jarrell worthy mm-hmm. was a guy who was just a snap jumper in the big 10 and he was able to produce. And people were like, Holy crap. If he can do this at the NFL level, I'm like, they're going to snap it on the second go instead of the first go every time yeah. at the NFL level. And they're going to switch up their snap counts all the time. We see these guys basically get nerfed. So Hutchinson is a guy I completely understand the length, I understand him getting drafted in the first. I don't understand him going top three. My my only category, I like the hand usage. I think that's something that can be hard for guys coming in immediately to, you know, do well with disengaging. It's something we've seen where Sean Gary completely developed the past year, which is really what set him over the edge. So that's something he is bringing to the table right away. And I think that's a way he disengages a lot. Um, but you are right. Maybe what could be considered explosiveness, uh, you know, at first glance, the more you watch is definitely him just timing the snap up. That is how he got around the edge a lot. I don't think Ohio State in that, you know, reverie, you know, I don't think they ever tried to counter that at all. He just kept teeing off off the snap. No, and I think a lot of people look at Ohio State for like good on good film. 
I don't think Ohio State's offensive line was that good. I mean, they had a bunch of young guys. They kept moving there. guys around too, which was strange. Because I didn't mind um, Petit Frere. I'm probably not pronouncing it right. But like the rest of the guys were just like, eh. Like, I think they had a guy that I thought should play guard playing at right or left tackle, depended on the game. Uh, they have th- massive dudes. Like, that's yeah. the thing everyone talked about them with. They were, they were like, their offensive line averages like 200 or 320 pounds. And it's like, but they can't move, though. Yeah. <laughs> but they yep. can't move. Um, speaking of offensive linemen that can move, one of my favorite prospects in this class, Charles Cross. I mean, Thank he's you. a guy. Thank you. He's a, he's a guy people are talking about as like a borderline first round pick. No. How this guy is a dancing bear. He's an offensive tackle for Mississippi state. Obviously Mississippi state plays in a offense. People don't necessarily like watching because it's like old school air raid, right? Mike Leach is there. He used to coach Texas tech when uh, former Packers, great Graham Harrell was there. Yeah. Charles cross was a guy. He was a five-star recruit coming yep. out of high school. Was that guy coming out when to play at Mississippi state, you watch him. He was the guy for me where you were talking about, what was it? Um, Carl Aftis. uh Evan Neal where you were like oh, yeah. first game yeah. that's yeah. a first round pick like that's that's potentially a first overall pick that was me like five plays into Charles Clark yes where I watch him and I'm like oh this guy's going top 10 yeah. easily just the way that he moves at that size he's 6'5 305 he's the type of guy that I think if he falls down the draft he's like the one offensive lineman I could see Green Bay taking it taking in the first round if he slips to where he's you know, quote unquote projected to go just because they're going to see so much value in such a good pass protector that they're like, guys, we, we got to do it. And everyone's going to be mad, you know, on draft <laughs> day, but they're going to be happy for the next decade, but we got to do it. I would move mountains for Charles Cross in a Packers Jersey. I know that uh, Ikem Aquanu is getting all of the love. I get a lot of very strong Colicchio simile vibes from him, uh, you know, that can play tackle. Right. I have a higher grade on cross. It was again, you know, if you watch him right away, it's not just the way he moves because he's athletic as heck, you know, his technique solid. I love the way he attacks guys and strikes them with his arms. Cause he's got these massive and long arms. And as soon as he latches onto you, like you have absolutely no shot of disengaging with him. Um, it's just, he's got everything you want. So yeah. I, what do I have him ranked top five? Yeah. I have number, number five. It was just, uh, it, there's, a, I will say this about this tackle class. There's a ton of good guys there. I have first round grades on, I think five, six, and then I have top 50 grades on another four. Um, so, uh, you know, a quarter of my top 50 guys are tackles and, uh, he, he just stands out in so many ways. And he's the guy that as far as like upside probably has the higher upside than Quanu for sure. Quanu is very like, people just want a big tackle. Him right? and Penning, him <laughs> and Penning. It's the, it's the, we like the nasty highlight film guys. Like it's, it's why Quentin Nelson went top five. If you actually watch a Quanu, I, I, I don't have a lot of holes to pick in this game. But one of them I have, you know, he he's always going for the I'm going to throw you into the ground. But at times that can really backfire when you're not staying engaged and actually driving a guy out because the guy basically just is automatically disengaged when you try to throw him. And if he stays upright, he can make a play on the ball. Speaking of uh, nasty offensive linemen, um, I just want to talk about one more before we move to wide receivers, because that's probably what everyone wants to hear about yeah Yeah, everyone wants (laughs) everyone wants to hear about the birds it's almost like every year they want to talk about wide receivers i wonder why funny how that works trevor penning from northern iowa i saw the uh senior bowl stuff from him this dude is 6'6 330 don't know how he ended up at the fcs level but he did a great job you know in terms of uh all the accolades he was able to record there he actually got like a vote for um it's like the FCS equivalent of like the Heisman. He got one of those as an offensive lineman. That's awesome. Think, think about that's objectively that. great. That yeah, but you watch him at the Senior Bowl where he's finally going good on good against some guys that are kind of of his level, you know, NFL caliber. He misses a lot, but then he'll just like literally beat the shit out of the guy and just like land on him. It, it's so weird. Like this dude, it's like he thinks he's playing U- UFC instead of instead of football it's very weird to watch I, I tweeted this like a week ago but just like instinctually i have this very strong feeling that the chicago bears are going to draft trevor penning and packers fans are going to hate him because he is the nastiest son of a bitch you'll see at tackle like he does not care if he pisses you off 
Um, he's like I the love- Dominique Raiola, like I'm going to hit you in the nuts when you're not looking type of guy. Like, yes, exactly. So, so weird. He's As a be- football guy, I love it. But like when you watch the tape, it's out of control. You know, he's going to whiff on guys. His hand placement's going to draw holding flags like crazy. But the um, same people who like the North Carolina offensive lineman, yep. the North Carolina state offensive lineman, are going to say, hey, if we don't get him, yep. Trevor Penning in the second round, he's a yep. massive guy. He's mean. That's what we want. And if you're, like, building that type of, like, caveman offense, that he's going to be, like, super high for some people. But, like, yep. team, I think a team like Green Bay – We'll look at that guy and be like, absolutely not. You're yeah. going to get Aaron Rodgers killed. Like there, there was a clip where he he gets beat on the edge and then just slingshot, like holds holds and throws this guy into Spencer Rattler's knees. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. There was a huge scare. Yeah. Uh, it's like, what the hell is this guy's problem, man? Like what's going on in your head, bud? It's a future. It's a future bearer of Viking. I, I honestly am kind of rooting for that because I need. It's been a while since they had an Adamican Sue. You know, who's been the last guy since Adamican Sue for Packers fans to like just can't stand their guts? I don't think there's been a guy since at like that level. And no, Penning would easily, I think, I think so. easily be that kind of guy. Yeah. And he's, speaking, he's nice. I I want to have another point with offensive tackles just because I love talking about them. And uh, yeah, the point is. The flashy plays aren't always the best players. Like a guy I want to highlight before we move on is just Bernard Raymond out of uh, Central Michigan. I have him much higher than Penning simply because it's an interesting story. He went to Central Michigan originally as a tight end. Um, you know, pretty athletic oh, guy. I've, just... I've heard this story before. Eric Fisher, right? Yeah, yeah. There we go. Uh, just yeah, not a very good tight end. So they moved him to tackle, and just his development's been incredible. He's super athletic. He's very you know consistent. Um, Talk to your buddy, Sam Schwartzstein, about this. Uh, when you're watching offensive linemen, like watch it, what the offense is designed to do. And if they are designing plays to run at that offensive lineman and they're getting yards because of it, you know, that's a sign that, that guy's doing a pretty damn good job. And if you watch Central Michigan, when they're running his way and he walls off defenders you know, with ease, uh, it's a pretty good sign. I have a first-round grade on Raymond, just someone to keep an eye out on. Uh, I, I think if the Packers you know, decide they don't like any of the wide receivers and go for a tackle, I wouldn't be shocked to see them draft Raymond. If we're talking about these wide receivers, the first one I want to start with, Drake London from USC. He, he had an ankle fracture. It ended his college season. But he's 6'5", 212. I mean, the dude didn't have a lot of help around him. USC hasn't been very talented recently. He plays like Mike Evans to me. Like, he was the guy. You watch him, and you're like, to me, that's wide receiver one in this class. I know a lot of people don't. They like the Ohio State guys and stuff. But to me – I watched Drake London, and even despite the in- the injury, I'm like, that's a number one, like, X, you know, downfield threat in the league. He can high point balls. That's a great talent. Every single year I write down, I'm not going to fall in love with the big guy that makes jump jump ball catches. I'm not going to fall in love with but that guy. But he's fast, though. But he's fast. <laughs> yep. We're not talking about J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. We're not talking about Hakeem Butler or Denzel Mims. We're talking about, like, a genuinely good player. Um Mike Evans is a good comp for him. I, you know, obviously because of the USC connections, I just see like a significantly better Michael Pittman as well. Um, you know, he produces in all phases too. Um, but obviously the jump ball stuff stands out. He's a good size. I mean, I I'm looking at my board and I have, you know, top 20 guys very bunched together at the wide receiver group. Um, Drake London, you know, like I said, stands out. I have him at wide receiver three. The guy I love, the guy that Packers fans I know are going to fall in love with too as soon as they start watching him is Traylon Burks out of Arkansas. First thing that they'll want to know, yes, he blocks. He blocks damn well. Honestly, one of the first things I noticed when I was watching his tape is this guy is a nasty run blocker. Uh, he can pave the way. If Lazard doesn't come back and they get Burks, you got a massive upgrade. Like Lazard, but it's and not he, close. He's a guy who can get the ball. And they they oh, yeah. run plays to get balls in his hand. Like he's He, he can be he an can, asset in screen game. Right, and even like the end around stuff. Like you yep. can run the Equinamia St. Brown, you know, Geronimo Allison jet plays with this type of guy. I mean, you watch Arkansas and Arkansas was like top 10 at one point this year. Yep. If you watch them, it's a whole lot of like quarterback run. We're running power with an extra blocker because our quarterback is built like Cam Newton. And then Traylon Burks just like figuring out ways to get him the ball. Yep. Um, he was like their offense. He's 6'3", 225. To your point, yeah, the, the Lazard thing, he for sure is going to get whatever tender they give him just because he's so cheap still. Yeah. But if you're looking at like a long-term replacement there or even potentially a guy to replace MVS, I think he'd be up there. If he runs anything less than like a 4-5-4, four, four, 
he's going to yep. skyrocket in this class. Well, that's the other thing. He's kind of a unicorn in that regard because, again, he, he can moss some guys. He's got the jump ball ability. He can run block. He can do the screen game. But he stretches the field vertically, too. And he surprisingly did it a lot in college. Like, he did beat guys over the top pretty regularly. I want to talk about these Ohio State receivers. And I want to start with Ohio State fans are so spoiled. So <laughs> Not yeah. only do you get Garrett Dude, Wilson. Dude, I went, I went to Indiana, bro. I know. I have to watch it every year. <laughs> Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, who are going to be probably two of the top five wide receivers drafted in this class, didn't even lead their team in receiving because Jackson Smith, Nijiba, is that how in you J- say his name? Njigba. In, Njigba in in actually led the team in receiving. So we got him coming up, you know, in a future draft class. They have Marvin Harrison Jr., you know, the f- five-star recruit, coming in and the guy from Alabama, Jamison Williams was at, uh, was at Ohio state transferred to Alabama, had a great year at Alabama where he, you know, took over as basically their number one wide receiver. And he came from Ohio state too. We're talking about all these guys were on the same team at some point. Those are all professional wide receivers. Like some of these teams are playing completely different in terms of like the recruiting game than others, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio state, they're in a different world than everyone else. We might get that. You know that picture of all the Georgia running backs that are all pro now? Right. I think it was like Gurley, Chubb. Um, oh, my gosh. Who am I, uh, who am I missing? Gurley? Chubb. Gurley, Chubb. Sony Michelle. Sonny Michelle. I think, is there a fourth? I can't remember. They but had anyway. that, like, Keith Marshall who, like, transferred out. They had the dude from, like, Alcorn State. Remember, he got kicked out after, like, a big freshman yeah. year. Yeah. I mean, Bama had that, too, where they had, you know – Camara, Derek Henry, uh, Davian Harris, all those guys on the same team. And it's like, doesn't seem how, fair. How are you able to acquire a talent this efficiently? It shouldn't be allowed. These Ohio State receivers are interesting, though. Uh, Garrett Wilson is the, I'm just going to win with speed all the time. And there's nothing you can do to stop that. It's like the Tyree Kill cheat code button is probably the best way to describe Garrett Wilson. And then Chris Olave, the only word I can come with, because like, his evaluation I see is weird from a bunch of people, but he's just smooth. Like the way Very, he runs. Yeah. There's no other way to describe it. Cause he is athletic and he makes plays and like, he's not the, he's not the best after the catch. That's probably like the biggest knock on him, but the way he runs routes and gets open, is just, it's smooth. There's no other way to describe that. Those are all pretty relatively smaller players mm. relative to like what we're used to in green Bay in terms of like blocking bodies. Right. Um, the other guy, Then I want to mention Jamison Williams. We already talked about him a little bit. He came from Ohio State, went to Bama. Just high-flying speed guy. I mean, Another cheat code button, yep. If if he were able to run at the combine, he might have the fastest 40 out of all these wide receivers. He tore his ACL in the national championship game. Big bummer. You know, we we just saw it in the Super Bowl, right, with OBJ. Like, those non-contact injuries on turf, like, it's always ACL. It's always going to be ACL. So maybe – you know, Jamison Williams takes a hit, you know, in terms of his draft stock because of that. But Williams would have been my second guy behind Drake London, you know, in this mm. class, just because his speed, you can't teach it. Like, yep. it's that Tyreek Hill, um, Henry Ruggs, you know, there's very few comparisons. So I'm, I'm struggling with this. Uh, those type of speed guys where it's like this guy, if you get him one on one, he's going to beat that guy every single time. Like, period. There's not corners who can run backwards faster than this guy can run forwards. I've only watched, like, three guys in my life where they just run, like, a crosser over the middle, and then they're surrounded by four different defensive backs and then run at 50 yards for a touchdown. And Jameis Williams is one of those guys. Insane. Insane. Uh, Jahan Dotson, let's end the podcast on this one. The wide receiver from Penn State. I haven't seen him that much. He's a smaller guy, 5'11", 184. I, I can't believe you actually watched this guy. I'm not going to watch a Penn State offense. I, I, yeah, watching Sean Clifford point. is rough, man. <laughs> well, when they had the what, – what was the game where Penn State had the backup quarterback in and all they could do was run screens? Um, was that this space? year? This year, yeah. It was, it, was, it was a big time – here, I'll look it up right now. It was a big time matchup with uh, Penn State. They, like – I think it was Iowa? No, it wasn't Iowa. Um, da, da, da. I watched too many college football games. My brain is mush at this point. Just destroyed. It's yeah, it, it was Iowa. So it was number four, Penn state against number three, Iowa, Penn state had built a lead. Their quarterback went down. I think their backup quarterback transferred elsewhere. So it was basically like the third guy they had in camp came in and their backup 
just uh, he basically averaged like in terms of a dot, right? Like average depth of target. It was something like two yards. Like oh, it, it became gross. a point where it was like, we have to lead. And if Iowa scores one more point, we're not going to be able to do anything offensively. And then they were able to get up and it was just like watching torture. Uh, take one Robertson was the backup quarterback at Penn state. He went two of tw- or seven of 21 for 34 yards and two interceptions. His yards per attempt was like one and a half. That's 1.6. 1. And his, his NEA would have been in the negatives. So we're talking about literally if you spike the ball in the dirt, your offense would have been more efficient than what he did off the bench. So I'm not, I'm not going to watch that. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. You have takes about this wide receiver. Like, uh, could it, could it be me? I like him a lot, man. Even with Clifford, like missing him all the time, you know, his uh, every game I watched live of Penn state, he's making a ton of plays. What I like about him, you know, he can play in the slot. He's a deep play guy, but what really stands out to me is his release package. Like, you know, his initial like break off the snap uh, could just absolutely dust guys. And then even though he's a little bit smaller, something else that stood out his contested catches and like catches outside of his frame. He made a lot of impressive ones. It's something I really like to see, especially if you're not, you know, not the biggest guy. Um, I just think there's a lot to like about his game, even if he's not the biggest. And I think he can move in different spots. And Packers fans will probably want to know this. He did have experience as a return man and was pretty damn good at it. So Dotson had eight receptions in the Iowa game. Guess how many yards? 20. 48. But that's still six yards but, per reception. Well, he had – oh, yeah, because Clifford went down the middle of the game. I was like, hold on. Right. But they were running screens at him. I'm, I'm telling yeah. you guys, if you guys want to watch Torture – right? Just eye torture. Watch the fourth quarter of that Penn State Iowa game and be like, oh my God, that's a big 10 scholarship quarterback. There's no way. I, I, I think he has since transferred out, but just a gross, gross, gross result um, by this team. Iowa kicked three field goals in the last 16 minutes of the game to, to, to go up. Just a gross game in general. To be fair, it's hard to watch any games involving Iowa's offense as well. They're usually going to be slop fests. I kind of like, you know what I learned uh, recently? Iowa gave scholarships to both uh, Trey Lance and Zach Wilson. Interesting. They could have had fun quarterbacks. Yeah. They just chose not to. Would have loved to see one of those guys behind Tyler Linderbaum too. Right. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, Any other notes? Any other hot takes you, you just want to drop in at the end of this? Yeah, I, I, we touched on it a little bit. Just something I really want to talk about as far as, like, let's say Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith are gone. Uh, one of the things I keep seeing people talk about is, like, let's get a speed rusher, all this stuff. I, I feel like it, maybe this is just a personal philosophy of mine, but as far as edge rushers, I think you want one that is a pure pass rushing specialist, kind of like Gary. And if you're going to have a guy like Gary who struggles with outside containment, you need someone that can stop the run and constrict, you know, outside plays. And that's what really made Preston Smith such a valuable player last year. If they lose Preston Smith, I would rather get a guy like that as an edge prospect. And as far as the guys I'm watching, when I think of that, uh, the best fit for me is Trayvon Walker out of Georgia. Um, That's probably the best damn edge setting player I've seen in a minute. He Uh, is so weird. He has, he has like, uh, he was the guy who played inside, right? For him a little bit. I don't think he played a ton inside. I think mostly played on the edge. Okay, I might be mixing them up. There was one guy who plays like four tech every once in a while for him, and he Nolan has no, Smith maybe. I I don't know. He he has no pass rushing moves at all, but he has like crazy bend at the same time, and you're like, holy crap! That might be Nolan. Now that I think about it, you're yeah. like, you watch him. I can't remember which Georgia guy it was, but there's too many. Him. That's the problem. Everyone and then Everyone. they like they have like three defensive tackles coming out in this class, and they're like, yeah, the one next year is even better, and you're like, what? How? Yep. They're just spoiled. But, yeah, they have one pass rusher – or one uh, guy who kicks in and kicks outside who has no moves but just has crazy bend. And I'm like, someone is – you. someone might spend a top 10 pick on you and you actually could, like, develop and beat those goals. But if you get a bad coach, like, you might be out of the league, you know, after your first contract. There's so many guys in this class that I feel like that way about. Um, just looking at your uh, chart again – just to see like where you have guys. Uh, last one, linebacker is going to be a big, you know, pressing mm-hmm. need for the Packers if, you know, Devondre Campbell does leave. Talk to me about Devin Lloyd because I have a lot of Devin Lloyd takes. The linebacker out of Utah, um, I, I think he was Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. He had converted from safety to linebacker. There's a lot of people who have him as the number one linebacker in this class. 
I watch him and I'm like, I'm very worried that if you lose, you know, one step at all at the NFL level, you might be an unusable player. So every time I watch Devin Lloyd, because I'll, I'll be honest, linebacker probably isn't my strongest like position I feel most comfortable watching, right? Um, but every time I watch Devin Lloyd, I'm like, I mean, he's pretty good. And then I go and see like, you know, top five, number top 10 on big boards. Exactly. And I'm like, and you're like, whoa, what are we yeah, doing? Here? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Also, I, you, people have been burned by Utah linebackers before. Who was the guy? Uh, did he go to the Seahawks? Um, I'm not crazy. Oh, no, that was a Texas Tech guy. Oh, yeah. yeah I just I see colors on helmets. And, you know, my my football brain <laughs> just goes so much. Um, I mean, he's good. He moves well in coverage and, you know, he does stuff. The, the thing I always look for on linebackers, and maybe it's just because, like, I've read too many old school linebacker books, but how do they handle blocks against the run, right? And exactly. one of the things that pisses me off about guys like Lloyd is, you know, you, you got to launch your hips into them, right? You got to, like, stand them still. But when you start, like, backtracking on these blocks and, like, you're the run support guy, like, you need to get in there. They're going to pick up a first down. Uh, I don't want my linebacker prospects shying away from that block because it is literally their job. To Pac get dirty guards. on that block. Yep. Pac-12 guards are not NFL guards, man. The, Pac- yeah. the Pac-12 isn't the Big Ten. It's not the SEC. He's the one that I watch him. I'm like, you play like a former safety. And then everyone else is like, he's a former safety. Let's bump him up even higher. It's like, I feel like people are paying a tax just to get a linebacker who whose bio says former defensive back. And they're like, oh, he's going to be so rangy. And I'm like, he if he gets hurt and linebacker is a position that I think we've talked about it on the pod, at least the uh, pod network before linebacker is like the inverse of running back on the defensive side, right? Yep. It, or at the reflection. You can't be afraid to die, man. That's yeah, a... It's it's that. And your body is going to take a ton of beating. Yeah. Like, these guys get hurt way more often than people realize. He's the guy where I'm like, if you get banged up your rookie year, you might not be able to recover from that. Like he's a guy I'm like legitimately worried about. And it's so weird watching him. And then uh, Sewell, you know, one of the Sewell brothers is uh, opposite of him at, mm, at Utah, yeah. at linebacker. Um, and Sewell is the opposite of him. He is not a rangy linebacker, but he is, like, tough as heck. Um, and, and he's able to, you know, fill those run gaps in a way that Lloyd isn't. It's just a weird, very weird juxtaposition where you could see two guys on the same team getting the same coaching, handling stuff very differently. And I, I think that even further uh kind of adds to the the negatives column to, to Devin Lloyd for me it's why I have a top 10 uh, grade on N'Kobe Dean and then you know only top 30 on Lloyd because you know watch the Georgia linebackers even Channing Tindall like these guys are the rangy. Michigan game where N'Kobe Dean just eats that that swing like yeah. full-blown motion swing and he runs across the field probably you know the full you know uh 53 and a third and makes a tackle in the backfield and you're like that is the guy that can play like a Roquan Smith. The guy, yes. De- Devin Lloyd, he's not hes not playing with that level of confidence or violence. And if you're spending a top pick on a linebacker, that's what you want. It's a—it's uh, one of those positions where I think everyone's trying to think about the net modern NFL, but you still need the linebacker that's not afraid to die. Like, that's the only way to describe it. Like, I don't know how else to put it. Like, you got to have that killer instinct. And, you know, N'Kobe Dean has that. You have to make 150 tackles against NFL running backs every year. Like, yep. Still the job. All right, man. Thanks for the time. Yeah, of course.